Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate his love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Uh, well, very good morning to you if you don't know me. My name's Chad Mansbridge. I have the pleasure of being part of the leadership group here in this local church and it is my privilege and pleasure today to be able to share with you from the eternal word of God. We are a church that values many things and one of the things we value very highly is the written word, the holy scriptures that we believe are uh, living and active. God's word is not just printed on paper but God's word comes by his spirit and speaks and uh, embeds truth upon our heart and mind and so as we listen today my prayer for you is that your heart and your mind would be open to receive whatever it is God is wanting to speak to you today and if you agree with that at home why don't you shout back at the television amen all right what we're going to do is i'm going to read from a book called second timothy chapter two it's written by the apostle paul is one of the leading figures of the new testament writing to a spiritual son called timothy this is his second letter to timothy that's why we call it to timothy and it is probably the last letter paul ever wrote before he was martyred before he had his head chopped off by uh, a caesar in rome called nero at the time in the mid 60s okay mid 060s basically uh, ad and uh, why do i say that because this whole letter kind of reads as his last will and testament all right it is uh, in the uh, biblical sense, we'd call it a farewell speech or a departure speech. We see these happen all the way through the Old Testament. Uh, Moses and Joshua and key, key characters, even Jacob, when he prayed for his sons, kind of gave a departure speech. Joseph, uh, the technical dream coat guy, did a very similar thing. Well, Jesus did it in the Gospels, and here is Paul. He knows he is about to die. He knows he has come to the end of his race. Okay, I've run the good race, and I'm about to enter into the prize. I'm about to enter into the eternal destiny that God has for me in glory. And he describes his life as a race to Timothy in the this book because he knows the end for him is drawing nigh or as you might say the beginning of a whole new expression of life was about to start for him either way this is his final words to his spiritual son and someone that uh, was like a student for him a mentoree and so they are really important words and he speaks to Timothy very directly so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this passage of scripture uh, I want you to listen and then I'll make some observations and bring a few encouragements to you today on a mini series I started two weeks ago before Mother's Day called soldier athlete and farmer soldier athlete farmer this is part two to Timothy chapter 2 verse 1 you then my son be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust those things to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others join with me or endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus after all, no one serving as a soldier, everybody say soldier. soldier, there you are, no one serving as a soldier gets involved or gets entangled in civilian affairs. After all, he wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, everybody say athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer... 
Yeah, well done. You're picking it up. Farmer. Soldier, athlete, farmer. Okay. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Now, reflect on what I am saying. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay, okay. Very funny. Reflect on what I am... No, forget it. Reflect on what I'm saying. Timothy here is reading this letter from Paul. He has read these encouragements to say, listen, be strong, endure with us, uh, teach others who would teach others to teach others. After all, you are a soldier, you are an athlete, you are a farmer. Now listen, don't just read what I'm saying, reflect on it. Don't just read it, get to the next thing, swipe down, okay, swipe up. No, 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 stop and reflect. This is how we are to read the Bible, okay? The three R's, read, reflect, then respond. Simple. Read, reflect, respond. Timothy was to read, then reflect on what was being said. Why? So that the Lord will give you insight into all this. There is something as we read the scripture, there is insight in there that God wants us to see. And if we allow time to reflect, the Lord himself will reveal it or will give us insight into this. All right? Very important. Read, reflect, and then respond. Verse 8 says this. Remember, Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may gain the, obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Tops and tails this passage, verse 1, by saying, Be strong in grace! And then uses himself as an example by saying, This is why I endure. This is one of the themes of Paul's last words to his son Timothy. Listen, mate, I want you to endure. I want you to keep going. I want you to persevere. And to bring this point home, like many communicators do, he uses analogies, he uses metaphors, he uses pictures, he paints images because a picture tells a thousand Words, okay, the word is endurance, perseverance, striving, dedication, devotion, moving forward. And in order to help you see that picture, I want to instruct you with three images. You are a soldier, you are an athlete, you are a farmer. Now don't just hear me say that, reflect on it and the Holy Spirit will give you insight into it. And this is basically how I'm approaching this mini-series. I'm doing it, number one, because it will be encouraging to you, it's good truth. But then secondly, I'm doing it to help you see how all of us can read the Bible. Okay, We come across a, a, a passage like this that calls us an athlete. That's what we're looking at today, part two, an athlete. We're not just to read that, we're to reflect upon it and see what Holy Spirit says to us through that. And one of the frameworks that I have basically come up with, but I think it would be really helpful for you, when we reflect on the Scripture, what am I to look for? Okay, What type of thing does the Holy Spirit want to speak to me? Well, one of the big things we know that God is committed to showing people, and certainly a massive value for us here in this church, is the whole issue of identity. Peter, the apostle, hears from heaven who Jesus is. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, that's right, that revelation of my identity is the rock-solid foundation on which I'm going to build a church. Identity is really, really key. And so one of the things I'm going to encourage you to do when you read the Scripture, these are three questions you can ask, or really one question you can ask yourself. How do I identify the joy in this passage? Identify the joy. As you read a passage of Scripture, ask yourself, 
What does this passage show me about Jesus? What does this passage reveal to me about others? And what does this passage reveal about you, about me? J-O-Y identified the joy in biblical application. That's basically a structure I want to look at today. You can do this at home, but that's what I'm, how I'm approaching this series. I want to look today about being an athlete, and I want to look at those three questions. What does that image show us about Jesus? What does it teach us about others? If we're to other people in our life and what does it teach us about you so let's have a look at the verse we'll keep it up on the screen verse five it's our verse for the day your memory verse homework this week all right here we go verse five similarly lily similarly if anyone competes as an athlete he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules we'll keep that verse on the screen and let's make a few observations the first thing that sticks out to me of course is the word Similarly, similarly, similarly means that this statement about being an athlete has a context in stuff that he's just said. All right. So he's just said, be strong in grace. He's just said, just like a soldier, okay, doesn't get entangled with stuff, but pleases his commanding officer. Just like that, similarly, an athlete. Okay. So one of the things we see about these three pictures is that there are great similarities between them. Now they are different and for the purpose of this series I've tried to distinguish each identity with a key word. Uh, for soldier last two weeks ago I used the word dedication. Today athlete will be discipline. You just saw our numbers just drop off of, of people watching right there. Discipline. Okay. The third, the third picture of uh, a farmer, uh, a distinguishing feature there is uh, diligence. Okay. So three Ds because that's just how I roll. But the point is they all have similarities. Similarly, each of these pictures speaks uh, about hard work that reaps rewards. Each of these pictures speaks about commitment that leads to a crown here in this verse. Perseverance in line with God's purposes and principles that leads to a prize. All right, they, All three images have that in similarity with them. And in this verse itself, we don't know whether the prize spoken here is talking about an eternal prize or a temporary prize. You just work hard on planet Earth and you get good rewards on planet earth because that's what sowing and reaping is this verse on its own does not say whether paul's thinking about eternal prizes or earthly prizes other verses do but not this one point is there is still a similarity between hard work and being rewarded for that and that's one of the reasons maybe paul left it open hey reflect on it and god will show you what i mean god will teach you a lesson out of this so we see from this verse that Paul is drawing quite clearly here from the Greek athletics, okay, Greek Olympics. We're supposed to be having an Olympics this year, as you know. I'll speak about that in just a moment. Jay has spoken here before about uh, Greek uh, Olympics. So actually, the Olympics is only one game that the Greeks had, but the Greek Games. And the word here for competes as an athlete, it's very specific. It's not talking about a social athlete, okay? It's not talking about someone who's competing against themselves i'm just beating my own time today now the word there in the greek is very specific talking about an athlete that is being publicly viewed by other people 
Okay, this is a someone is the public are watching this athlete and he is taking this seriously. It's not social for him, it is competitive. All right, so that's the picture there. It then goes on to speak about the victor's crown. Now, culturally, when this was written, uh, the Greeks used to have a wreath, okay, when they, they didn't have gold and silver and bronze medals or a trophy, okay, they had a wreath that they were crowned with. Incidentally, this same word is used of Jesus in the book of Hebrews, I think it's chapter 2 where it said Jesus suffered and strived and then received an eternal crown. He was crowned with glory and honor. It's this word. It's the word wreath. Okay? So sometimes we might think about Jesus on the throne with a crown and it's a big gold crown like a traditional king. Oh, maybe he's got a wreath on. Okay? Because Jesus, as we'll see later, is not just a king, he's also an athlete. Jesus is an athlete and he is crowned with this wreath. So that's kind of the picture there. And then it says the third phrase here, he competes according to the rules. Now in some Bibles, this is translated quite literally as lawfully. Okay, This athlete competes lawfully according to the law. The only other place this word is used in the Bible is in 1 Timothy, okay, where Paul says, listen, all scripture is good. In fact, he says the law is good. The Old Testament, basically, is good. But it only stays good if you use it according to the rules. Same word. You need to treat the Bible is good. Okay, In and of itself, it is good. But in order for it to have its goodness in your life, you need to obey the rules when you handle it. It's the same word he uses here. An athlete. It's fine to be an athlete. But listen, mate. You need to compete according to the rules. There are rules that govern your game. There are rules that govern the game of Bible interpretation. There are rules that govern the game of the athletics of life. There are rules in life, okay? And that is what he brings out here in this passage. Similarly, like these other pictures, but slightly different, if anyone competes as an athlete, people watching, he doesn't receive the victor's wreath unless he competes according to the rules. So that's the verse Let's now discover the joy therein. Are you ready? What's first, people? Jay? Jesus, well done. What does this passage, what does this truth teach us, demonstrate to us, highlight to us, reveal to us about Jesus? Well, I kind of hinted at it before, actually. The book of Hebrews, which possibly was written by the same person, by Paul at a, at a similar time, actually uses a very similar picture talking about Jesus as an athlete. Hebrews Chapter 12 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, can you picture that? Like an arena? A crowd of witnesses? Okay. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sins that so easily trips us up. Can you see the picture there of an athlete running? Okay. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Verse 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, our champion, who initiates and perfects our faith. After all, he demonstrated this to us because of the joy awaiting him or the prize awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne with a wreath on his head. There's the picture. Okay, so here in Hebrews, Paul says, listen, you're an athlete, run your race. And Hebrews says, this is what Jesus did. 
When we read this passage and we go, what does this image teach me about Jesus? It teaches me that Jesus is the supreme athlete. He is the ultimate victor and therefore he is actually the great example for us to draw confidence and encouragement from. Listening to a podcast this week uh, or something, a video series, and someone was talking about the curse of comparison. They said, listen, whenever you find yourself comparing yourself against Somebody, that's a bad thing. That's like the enemy's trap to get you sucked into a cycle of depression and bloody, bloody, blah. And I'm like, no, no, it's not. Comparison is not a curse on its own. It's like money, like sex, like music, like the Bible. No, not like the Bible because the Bible is always good. It's like those things. It, it's basically, it's just there. It's a good thing, but it can be used poorly and therefore hurts you. Comparison can be a good thing. That's what Hebrews is doing for us. It's saying, compare yourself to Jesus. Okay, And don't get down in the dumps about it. Compare yourself to Jesus and, and allow that to develop hope and perseverance and endurance in you. Comparison on its own is not a curse. And Paul uses comparison to the Corinthian church to encourage, uh, no, to the, yeah, to the Corinthian church to encourage them to be generous. He says, listen, I'm going to encourage you to be generous with money by telling you about how generous the Philippians were. Oh, Paul, that's a curse. You're comparing us. No, it's not. No, comparing. I'm actually using that to try to instill enthusiasm and aspiration in you. How many of you are glad that that word aspiration is coming back into our culture. You know, a year ago, we elected in a new government and that was part of the language that was coming out of the time. Aspirational Australians. I thought, Gee, I haven't heard the word aspirational in our culture for a while. Aspiration is a good thing to see, to compare, to say, I want to aspire to something greater. I want to aspire to something stronger. I want to aspire to a, a better time on my race. Okay? And one of the ways I aspire to that is by having a role model I can follow. It is good to have role models. And it is a culture that is corrupt and a culture that actually, if you read Isaiah 3, get this. One of the things that happens to a culture when they turn away from God is the first thing that is taken away from them is the hero. Isaiah 3. Isaiah prophesies to Jerusalem and Judea. They're under God's judgment at the time because of the covenant that they were in. And he says, listen, I'm going to take away from you the hero and the soldier. And he goes on to give some other explanations. What is a, it's a bad thing when we don't have heroes. Okay? It's a bad thing to not have a culture where we aspire, where we have people that we can look up to. It is a good thing. The writer of Hebrews tells us that. He says, listen, you're an athlete. You're running a race. People are watching you. And this is how you're going to do well. Keep your eyes on Jesus because he ran the race. He did it. He suffered just as we are. He was just like us. He did it. And you can do it too. Come on. Keep going and endure. Come on, keep going and endure. We need heroes. And Jesus is my Michael Jordan. All right? He is, he is the greatest. Jesus is my Michael Jordan. Hashtag that. He is the greatest. And it's good to have heroes that we look up to. So that's one of the things this passage shows me about Jesus. Number one, he is the great example. But back off just a little bit and ask myself, the question, what does it show me about God the Father? If I'm the athlete in this picture, what is God to me? What is Jesus to me? Is he just a hero? Like, is, he, is he like Don Bradman? A hero I can look up to, but dead and gone? 
Is he that in the picture to me? Just a, a, a historical hero? Is he just the rule maker? Is that your picture of Jesus in the race of life? When you read this scripture, who's God in this picture? Well, he's the one making the rules. And he's the one, he's the referee that will blow the whistle every time I set a foot out of line. Is he the rule maker? Is he the crowd cheering us on? Is he a competitor trying to trip us up? Who is God? Who is God in this picture if you are the athlete? And for me, as I reflected on this this week, read, reflect. Who is Jesus? As I reflected on this this week, I thought, you know, I think the best picture here, if I'm the athlete, is that Jesus is not only my hero, who has set an example for me, he, he inspires me to be greater, but he is the hero that has become my coach. He's the hero that is my father, my big brother. It's a family connection. He wants me to do well. And he is the one in the race of life that will come alongside me to help me when I need him. Because that's what a, coach, a good coach does. A good coach inspires people to aspire to better, pushes them sometimes to endure. Come on, be strong, but is there by their side when that is required. And as I thought about that this week, I remembered a story from about 20 years ago, so bear with me. As I said earlier, this 2020 was supposed to be an Olympic year, uh, Summer Olympic Games, I think it was in Japan this year. And back in 1992 in Barcelona, there was an English runner. He was a world champion 400-meter runner at the Olympics in 92. He was uh, destined, basically, to win a medal. He won his first heat, uh, got the best time of all, of, all the runners in the first heat. Uh, he was tipped to take a medal. He won his quarterfinal. And then in the semifinal, something happened to this gentleman. His name is Derek Redman, and here's some video footage from his race at the 92 Barcelona Games. Watch this. I'm remembered for two things. One, for being a part of the winning relay team that defeated the Americans in the 1991 World Championships. But the most famous thing that I'm known for is actually not finishing a race, and it's for the race in Barcelona. Unfortunately, I'd had a few injury problems, mainly with Achilles tendons, and that sort of hampered me through my career. But by the time I was in Barcelona, I felt great. There was no issues, no problems. Derek Redmond, the best form he's shown since he broke the British record, which was way back in 87. And I remember thinking, I'm going to win this race. The gun goes. Wow. And I had a really good start. Redman's got off very fast indeed. I'm flowing down the back straight. And as I describe it, I hear a funny pop. And two or three strides later is then when I felt it. And I felt the sort of the rip of the hamstring. Redmond has broken down. He's on the track, kneeling down. And Derek Redmond, on his injury problem, the jinx has struck again. And I just remember having my hand on the back of the leg and just sort of collapse into the floor in, in pain. Then I remembered where I was and it was just like, you're in the Olympic semi-final. And that's pretty much what, what made me get up and, and, and start to, to run uh, or hobble. And I just thought, you know what, I'm going to finish this race. 
Um, it might be the last race I ever run, so I'm going to finish it. Not for anybody else, I'm going to finish it for me. And I was just about to start into the home straight, and I could sense this person on my left-hand side. And then I heard a, a very familiar voice shout out, Derek, it's me. And instantly I knew who it was. It was, it was my dad. Up until then, I'd managed to keep all my emotions in and hold it together relatively well. But as soon as I saw him, that was it. And, you know, I lost it all and I was in tears. I died. can't believe, I can't believe this has happened. Why me? You know. With his track record and injuries, it may be his only Olympic appearance. He just can't hold it. He would always have been there with me. And he spent many a year standing on the sidelines in the middle of the winter with a coffee in his hands, trying to keep warm. And all he was saying was, look, you've got nothing to prove. You're a champion to us. You'll be back. Don't worry. We'll do this together. I just said to him, get me back into lane five. I want to finish. I want to finish. Just get me back into lane five. And the joke that I always make about that is the first and last and only time I've ever been able to shout at my dad and get away with it. You know, any other time as a kid, you would have got a quick smack round here and told, oi, less of your cheek. We still had officials trying to, to, to stop us. And they're not quite sure what to do. They're thinking, who's this crazy man that's just walked onto the track? Is what's going on? All this sort of stuff. And right up until the point I'd gone over the line and walked through the line, I had no idea the reaction it was having on the crowd. And I sort of, you know, had a look around. People were going absolutely mad. Everyone was on their feet and all this sort of stuff. Some of the messages and letters and stuff that I get from people say, you know, you have no idea who I am. I'm not in sport. I've been through, you know, some hard times. Just want to thank you for your inspiration. It's quite strange that people to this day still find it, you know, inspiring. It's a nice feeling um, that I've done something that has helped so many people in their own ways. There was an outside chance of having a battle for a gold. Does it make up for that? I have to be honest and say no. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. We're looking at Jesus. What is Jesus to us? If we're an athlete called to run our race, then how does Jesus fit in to that picture? My best image of who Jesus is in that story is that Jesus is not only the hero that has gone ahead of us that we can aspire to be like, but he's also like that father, the one who comes alongside to help. And uh, you can grab the tissues now if you really enjoy that video. All right. So we're finding the joy in this picture. What does it teach us about Jesus, others, and then you. So let's look at others. What does this picture of being an athlete teach us about other people? Well, one of the things that I had reflected on this week is that it teaches us that some people are for us and some people are against us. And some people are for us. They want us to succeed. They want us to do well. Some of those people are friends. They run alongside us. We train together. We, 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 we encourage one another on. Some of those people are our equals, as it were. Some of those people are weaker than us. And it is our job to encourage them in the race of life. And then, of course, some people who are for us are people who are stronger than us. It's one of the best things that we can teach our kids growing up, a great lesson that we can learn as early on in life as possible. There will always be people better at something than you. All right, And that's a good thing. Find them, compare to them, that, that would inspire you and aspire you to improve in the race of life or whatever it is, whatever race that you are running. So these are some of the people that are around us. And I think a good year or so ago, uh, gee, it might have even been 
might have even been the start of this year. I was talking about the people that David had in his life that enabled him to fulfill his purposes in his generation. 2020 generation, those of you who are part of our church may remember that. Oof, doesn't that seem like a long time ago? But there was three groups of people, those who were ahead of him, okay, the next generation, those who were walking alongside with him and those who were behind him, the mature ones that had set him up for success in his life. These are the three groups of people that we have. And yet it also shows us that there are people sometimes in life, and this is a harder thing to admit, that there is a reality that there are certain people in life that don't want us to do well. And that is a confronting reality at times when we come across that. Hopefully we don't experience that all too often, but it is just something to be aware of. And as the writer of Hebrews says, there are things that will trip us up. And sometimes those things are things we put upon ourselves. Sometimes they are things that other people put in, uh, in front of us, obstacles in our path, okay? Like Balaam, uh, okay, no examples. Anyway, that would take too long. But there are obstacles in our path and, uh, and because some people just don't want what is best for us. So that's one observation about what it might teach us about the others in our life. The other thing I thought this week is that it teaches us that, that people are watching us. Which is why, you know, we don't run naked like the Greek games. Okay, I think that's a good thing. Uh, but there's, people are watching us and some of those people are invisible. The great crowd of witnesses that Hebrews says, that because this crowd of witnesses is watching you in this race, that is talking about the Hebrews 11 people. It's talking about a heavenly community that have died and, and gone before us. Okay, they're watching us. It's like sometimes we run our race knowing that I am going to honour those that have gone before me. Some of you have, have, have made those decisions in your life where you're like, you know, my dad's not here anymore, but I'm going to do this for my dad because this is what my dad would want me to do. I'm going to honour his legacy. I'm going to honour his name. Uh, this is something of the great crowd of witnesses who've set an example for us in the past. If others can do it, I can do it too. And I'm going to do them proud. Okay, there's something about an invisible audience uh, watching us. And of course, literally, uh, an invisible audience cheering us on from heaven. Okay, literally. And then there's this thing of people just in normal life that are astutely observing us. People have their eyes on us. And that's natural because we are salt and light. We are here to be seen. And while on one hand, I can say fairly confidently that I don't care what people think about me, on the other hand, I really do care what people think about me. It really does matter to me. It doesn't matter to me in the sense of my personal value or esteem or pride or worthiness. It doesn't have any value to me in those things because all that stuff comes from heaven. So I don't care what you think about me. It doesn't add or take away from my worth and my value. You're not that important to me. Okay, But... <laughs> Now, you should have laughed then, so it makes it sound a little bit more lighthearted. All right. So I don't care what you think about me there, but I do care what you think about me in the sense that I have a great calling to represent God on the earth. So it does matter to me that I represent God as well as I possibly can. What's the point? The, the point of this one of the points of this illustration is it does tell us there are others, there are a cloud of witnesses who are watching us run our race and so do it well. This is not a private athlete doing his own private workout in a gym in his shed. This is a picture of an athlete where other people are watching and that is something Paul wants to leave with Timothy. People are watching. So do your coach proud 
and do uh, yeah nobody likes to cheat so compete according to the rules lastly what does this reveal about you we've saved the i can't say we saved the best for last can i j-o-y jesus others you what does this picture show us about you if i am a competitive athlete what does it reveal about me verse 5 again similarly if anyone competes as an athlete they do not receive the victor's crown unless they compete according to the rules as i said at the start i think the one word that distinguishes i'd like to use uh, that distinguishes the athlete is the word discipline discipline soldier athlete farmer athlete is discipline and of course many of you would know if you don't you know now the root word for discipline shares the same root word as the word disciple if you are a disciple of jesus it infers you are a disciplined follower of christ it's something there in the nuance of what the meaning for disciple means three things i want to encourage you with today if you haven't left the screen after hearing that word three things i want to encourage you about the word discipline and the first is this discipline is not a dirty word yeah discipline is not a dirty word when i ask you how about i do this one one two three say discipline with me okay ready one two three this wow awesome response it sounded like there was 200 people here discipline is not a dirty word we don't have to wash your mouth out with uh you know infectant right now discipline is a virtue it is a good thing it is an honorable thing it is a healthy thing I'm going to read from the Amplified Version here. This is in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. But refuse and avoid irreverent legends, which is basically profane and impure and godless fictions, mere grandmother's tales and silly myths, and rather express your disapproval of them. It says this, Train yourself toward godliness, keeping yourself spiritually fit. In the older version of the Amplified, it says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Verse 8, for physical training is of some value, it's useful for a little, but godliness, spiritual discipline, is useful and of value in everything in every way, for it holds promise for the present life and also for the life which is to come. This saying is reliable and worthy of complete acceptance by everybody. With a view to this, we toil and strive and even suffer approach because we have fixed our hope on the living God. What's the point? The point again here is of an athlete. Discipline, training, it's a good thing. Physical training has value, but so does spiritual training. Both have value. Both have different rewards that come or value that comes afterwards. But the point is discipline is not a dirty word and in some cases it is essential it is absolutely essential certain outcomes in life will simply never be achieved without discipline many things in life and i think bill johnson's famous for saying things this the things you need in life will be given to you many of the things you need will be given to you but many of the things you want you're going to have to work for many things you want you're going to have to focus on and go after and sometimes that going after something that you want will require discipline on your part so that's the first thing i want to share with you today discipline is not 
a dirty word. And everybody at home said? Number two, discipline is not impossible. Discipline is not impossible. God does not ask something of us that is unachievable. God gives us grace to do what, follow whatever instruction or encouragement he gives us. A good coach knows what their mentoree or their student is capable of. And God knows what you are capable of. He is the good coach that will not push you. He'll push you beyond where you might want to go. Some, so me, he'll push me beyond where I might want to go sometimes. But if he's calling me to do something, it's because he knows I've got the goods. I've got it in me. I might not know it, but a good coach knows it. And God, and that's why at the very start of this passage in Timothy, he said, listen, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. There is grace there. I'm about to tell you to persevere as a soldier, an athlete, and farmer, but guess what? It starts with, there is grace for this. There is grace to do that. So, therefore, endure. The whole passage is framed in that kind of understanding. You have what it takes. You have what it takes to discipline your mouth. What comes out? What goes in? You have discipline. You have what it takes to discipline your mouth. You have what it takes to discipline your physical body, your hands. You have what it takes to discipline your eyes. You may need help with stuff like this, but you have, you have the discipline. You do have it in you. You do. God would not ask you to do something that he would not capacitate you to do in some way. 1 Corinthians 9.25 says this, A true athlete will be disciplined in every respect, practicing constant self-control in order to win a laurel wreath that quickly withers, by the way. But we won our race to win a victor's crown that will last forever. For that reason... I don't just exercise or box like one throwing aimless punches. No, 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 no. I train like a champion. I subdue my body. I get it under my control so that after I do what I need to do, I won't be disqualified. Essentially, you can basically fill in the gap there. For him, it says, after preaching the good news, that was the context he was talking about. But basically, Paul said, very clearly saying here, Paul understood that he was not his body. Can you see the language there? I subdue my body. My body doesn't do its own thing. My eyes don't do their own thing. They might, but when they do, I subdue it because I have what it takes to discipline my mouth. I have what it takes to discipline my eyes. I have what it takes to discipline my body. It is my body and I'll tell it what to do. My body is a tool. My body is an instrument. My body is a temple, but it is also something, in a sense, outside of me. My will is stronger than my body, and I can tell my body what to do. And that's why your body is like a servant, like money. Okay, Money is a servant. It's a tool in your hand. I tell it what to do. Money becomes a god when money tells you what to do. Okay, No, no, money is my servant. I don't have an emotional connection to it. I tell it to do this. I now tell it to do that. I, I have a, a limited amount, but I do my best with what it is. It serves me. Okay, it's my servant. The same is, this is Paul's attitude towards his body. It's my servant. My body will do what I tell it to do. And this is framed in the whole picture again of the picture of an athlete for him specifically here. He has his, his eyes on an eternal prize. And so that's what he says. I will give myself to discipline. It is not a dirty word and it is not impossible. And the guy that just said it's good, Chad, 
is the lightest he has been in 20 years right now because he has demonstrated... <laughs> what are you up to? 90 what? 92 kilos and you haven't been that light until since when? You said the other day, since you were 40. For over 20 years, he's lighter than he's been for over 20 years. Why? A bit of discipline, he can do it and he's been doing it well. Discipline's not a bad word. Discipline is not impossible. And lastly, discipline does not need to be done alone. Discipline doesn't need to be done alone. And that is part of that whole Hebrews 12 picture. Okay, let's, let's read it again. Hebrews 12 and verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded... Everybody say we. Every picture here, soldier, athlete, farmer, they're single pictures. Single soldier, single athlete, single farmer. But listen, no soldier serves on his own. He's part of an army, a platoon. He's part of a gang. No farmer, in this era anyway, farmed on his own. He had his little plot of land. What wouldn't have been much bigger than this building we're in now. And he could see his neighbor, his brother, his cousin, his second cousin. They farmed together. Same with the athlete. We are surrounded. It's plural. We are running this race together. And so any discipline that we undertake as athletes, we don't have to do it on our own. We are in this race together. Now, I know during this COVID season, we are sick of hearing the phrase, we're in this together. But we are, okay? We are in this together. We, and what are we? We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We're in it together. There are other people cheering us on. Therefore, let us persevere. Let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us considering Jesus. We're not our own. We have a good coach ahead of us. We are not in this on our own. If today the Lord speaks to you about a certain area of discipline, hear this. You're not on your own. You're not on your own and you don't have to do it on your own. There are three things I wanted to encourage you today as I reflected on this picture. What does it mean for you to be an athlete? It means that I value discipline. If I want to be a good athlete, it means that I value discipline. Discipline is not a bad word. Discipline is not impossible. And discipline is not something I have to do on my own. Yes, all these pictures speak about personal responsibility, but they are also collective pictures. I don't have to do this on my own. And that's about as far as I can take it with you today. We've read... We've reflected, or at least I've shared my reflections. And now it's up to you to respond. So I want to encourage you to do what I did this week. Read that one verse again, verse 5. Let's just have it on the screen. Let's just read it one more time. Your memory verse for the week. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. What does this show me about Jesus? What does this show me about others? And Lord, what does it speak to me? What are you wanting me to do? What are you wanting me to take from this picture today? And on this issue of discipline, what do you want to speak to me about? I'm going to give you an opportunity and I think this would be a good time to 
not get up and make a coffee, but just sitting where you are, why don't you, we just close our eyes together, just as if you'd, we'd do it here, okay? We're trying to make these Sundays as normal as possible. And let's just give Holy Spirit that moment to say, is there an area you want to speak to me to about, Lord? And I'll leave that with you today. Can we do that? Maybe you should put your hand on your heart and uh, let's trust him to speak to us today. spirit of truth the counsellor that comes alongside to help us I thank you for whispering into ears today in and around this subject thank you for encouraging, thank you for challenging thank you for inspiring and thank you for revealing things to us today I was supposed to hear this word today and I receive it with joy and, fertile heart, I persevere in that word. I say today, Lord, I thank you for this word of discipline. And I receive it today. It is a good thing. Thank you for speaking to me, Lord. Amen. You know, I'm not sure I've ever called God coach, but I might start doing that now. I thought... If you come to church in a few months' time and I'm like, Coach, thank you today, don't be offended, all right? You'll, you'll know why. Folks, I hope that was helpful for you today. And read, reflect, respond. Well, that last R is your responsibility. And I'd love to hear stories. I'd love to highlight a bro here today who's uh, in great shape because of discipline that he's been put in his life in a particular area over the last few months. I'd love to hear your stories. Can you imagine that by the time we have 100 people back in this room and you are here in this room, you can get up the front on a microphone and uh, you can share your story from today. How that day, soldier, athlete, farmer, God spoke to me about an area of discipline in my life and you can share your success story that day. Mark this date. I'd love to hear that success story from you. It's going to be a great privilege to come into your home. It's been our pleasure as a team here today to serve you. I'm sure our church of eight people here today. Have you enjoyed coming? Have you? We are eight. We are. If, you, if you're like, how can I be in on the eight or eight to ten people that we have? It's, they're very, very expensive tickets, all right? So it's like we've got a Willy Wonka thing happening, a golden tickets out there. Uh, no, just kidding. Anyway, um, guys, bless you. Share this video if it blessed you. Keep commenting down below, and we will be back here again at 10 a.m. next Sunday. In the meantime, if you're part of our church family, I encourage you once more, please keep connecting during the week. We might be physically distancing or physically small groups only, but we will not distance ourselves relationally. And God has never and will never distance himself from you. He is as near today as he has ever been. And I bless you with that knowledge today in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. See you next week. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day.